You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Dr. Stephen Allison, professor of ecology at the University of California, Irvine. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Microbes have been around on the planet for billions of years. They were our original inhabitants uh, and actually created the oxygen that we breathe today. So they've been a key part of our planet for many, many years. And today they continue to serve us and provide lots of benefits that we make use of each and every day. So there are specific applications, but there are also a lot of microbes that occur naturally in all environments, you know, from the deep ocean all the way to farm fields and of course, even the, the human body. And I'm particularly interested in the microbes that, that live in soil. So bacteria and fungi, uh, there are other protists and small organisms there as well. But they have a really important role in the global carbon cycle, which of course is intimately related to climate change. And if we can understand them, that might give us some insight into how the climate will change in the future and how we might have to plan for that. But we could also maybe use the tremendous genetic and chemical biological potential of microbes to even solve some of our climate problems and contribute to healthier soils that can also contribute to greater food security, helping us feed a hungry planet. And doing all this without generating so many greenhouse gas emissions, uh, using so many pesticides and providing inputs that uh, may run off and cause pollution and other problems in in our food system. And so it's, it's basically a, a seed bank of genetic and metabolic diversity. And you know, the Earth's entire microbiome is just a tremendous treasure trove of, of history and evolution and diversity. And so we have, I, I would say we have no idea what's in a lot of that diversity. It's like the, the dark matter of the universe. You know, people call it the, the dark matter of microbial communities or microbiomes, and we're still figuring out what that material does. I mean, we know know that they're tremendously diverse, right? So the the sequencing revolution that happened over the past 20 or 30 years has made it possible to measure the diversity, but we don't know what that diversity is really doing or or how to harness it if if we need it. So we'd be wise to not disrespect it, as you said, and to make sure that that we put the effort into understanding it because you never know when the next cure for cancer is going to come out of a microbial metabolite or you know the next way to you know increase crop yield by 20% or something and we we want to miss that by <clears throat> degrading the habitat where that microbe lives or ignoring the the needs and the environmental forces or the climate forces that affect those really important microbes one thing we've looked at recently is the evolution of microbes and you know how quickly they can evolve is really surprising and interesting and inspiring right because it means that there are ways to adapt and respond that may not even have been invented by nature yet but that those those are available to us and we could we could learn from that i think it's very hard for us to replicate the process uh, we're, we're not skilled enough bioengineers to do that yet. But if we could figure out the rules that, that determine evolution, then maybe we could get better at it. 
But in the meantime, we can uh, look at these uh, microbial organisms as, as inspiration for how evolution can uh, change and adapt to pretty much anything, right? I mean, microbes have been around for these billions of years in all kinds of different climates and, and habitats. <clears throat> and so we just don't know yet how, how they got there <laughs> and how, that, how all that diversity arose. And I think that you know, if we start combining evolution and our knowledge of evolution with microbes, that could be really exciting. You know, it's not, it's the, the principles go beyond just the, you know, the different flower colors and peas, you know, that was studied by the original geneticists like Mendel and others. You know, it's a lot more interesting and, and complicated than how microbes exchange genetic material and evolve, right? They, they can actually take genes and just give them to another microbe. And I, I saw recently at a, a conference, a talk by Nobel laureate Jennifer Doudna, uh, who invented this CRISPR technique, which is a way to edit genomes and insert specific genes into, uh, into organisms, any, you know, any kind of organism. But the, the whole system started out as a way for bacteria to evade viruses, right? Did you know that the bacteria get viruses just like we do? I mean, there are bacteriophages that uh, are viruses that attack bacteria and they insert their uh, genome into the bacterium and the bacterial machinery changes and spits out a bunch of viruses. And so that's obviously bad for the bacterium and they have a whole immune system based on this CRISPR pathway that allows them to remember previous attacks by viruses and prevent those attacks in the future. So, you know, we can look to viruses or to bacteria or microbes as, as a way to maybe guide our own treatments for viruses like the coronavirus. And this CRISPR technology is, is revolutionary because we can actually edit genomes We know we need to conserve endangered species like the spotted owl or the, the gray wolf or something, but there's no microbe that's on the endangered species list. There's no microbe that is on the red list internationally. But I think that what we do need to do is consider microbes as part of a, a habitat. And given that we know microbes interact with plants and they interact with animal hosts and they're such a fundamental part of, of all systems, that that's a really an argument to conserve habitats as a whole. And for us ecologists to go out and measure the indicators of a healthy system, like we were talking about before, we really you know, can't just talk about health in a vague sense. We have to say, we, we need to measure the amount of carbon dioxide coming out of the soil and make sure that that is at the right level and that the right amount of uh, plant growth is balancing that. <clears throat> and that way we can say, oh, well, if we have you know, this, microbial community that we can identify with, with DNA sequencing or other advanced techniques, that tells us that this system is, is functioning properly and that our conservation technique is working right or our restoration is going in the right direction. So I think that that's you know, what we really need to do is take a whole system perspective and then we can start to drill down and so you know, what are the individual microorganisms that are contributing there and then that gives us the power, maybe in the future, to manipulate them and say, oh, well, we're missing this one key player. Can we introduce it, right? And can we somehow engineer the system to function the way we want it to 
Um, it's just that that's going to be that's going to be challenging in nature, right? Because it is a complex system, and we have to do it carefully without causing other damage or side effects that we don't want. But yeah, there there are. I mean, Southern Utah is beautiful. I was out there last year, and Oregon's beautiful as well, but in very different ways. And what we what we know from our own research is that there are very different strategies for the way that microbes deal with those environments, right? There in Southern Utah, you have extreme, you know, sun and heating, and you know, it's a lot of uh, desert landscape plants that are especially adapted to that environment, right? Like cacti and creosote bush, right? They you can see with your eyes, and if you're an ecologist, you know, with your instruments and measurements, the way that the plants deal with that. And it's really clever and really fascinating. And similarly, if you go to Oregon, then you know, you've got redwood trees and you know, forests, and the system is responding to that different climate. And microbes do the same thing, right? They have strategies to deal with stress. And you know, probably those, the microbes living in the surface of the soil in the deserts of southern Utah, they are adapted to deal with high heat. They're adapted to deal with drought. So if we can look at you know, what are they doing to survive in that environment, that might tell us what our future looks like with climate change. Or it might tell us you know, what we need to put into the, the vineyard in, in southern Oregon to make it ready to, to handle the, the higher temperatures and drier conditions that are coming and, and still maintain our, you know, our vineyard production or our crop production or whatever it is that, that we want to conserve in that system as the climate changes. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.